raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Earlier on the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy. Hey, appreciate you guys waking up with us. It's the Wake Up Call, KB and Andy. Scott Agnes going to join us here in just a second. Reminder, as always, you miss any of the show, any of the shows here on The Fan, check us out, 1075thefan.com. KB's got some articles up there as well. I have my weekly power rankings. Check out all that on the website. Download the app and take us, stream us anywhere uh, in the world. Absolutely free or go again to 1075thefan.com. All right, let's go on to the pay less Chris Hotline. Scott Agnes joins us. Fieldhouse Files going to talk some Pacers with him. Scott, good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning. Doing well. Well, good. I'm happy that you're doing well. I'm sure the players are doing well in Miami. Going to be a fun couple days to see how the Pacers bounce back. Uh, Let's start here. I asked Tony East this yesterday. We'll ask you this today. Are you glass half full or empty with this team right now? Nine and seven? Definitely not a bad record, but over the first month of the season, there's no doubt they've given away some games at home as well. Yeah, I think for me, it's about right where they expected. I kind of figured they'd be a 500 team for the season, and so that's about right where they're at. Now, from a team standpoint, it's got to be a little disappointing, I think, about what they've done. And I say that because they had a favorable schedule to start. 11 of their first 16 at home already had one huge homestand. And at home, they're just 6-5. and five. And that's that'd be just fine if that was a road record during a road-heavy stretch. But you'd really like to have much more wins during that stretch. And we saw at least two or three of those games that they kind of tossed away, um, especially this last one, which was totally unacceptable and disappointing. But, um, yeah, and so now, now at least while the weather tones cold here, they're down in Miami for four days. Scott, the latest on Jalen Smith is what? Yeah, so it's it's more than was originally diagnosed. The night of the game, they announced he went out with a left heel contusion, also known as a bone bruise uh, or a bruise. Um, and in addition to that, yeah, there's a bone bruise in his left knee. He is not with them in Miami. Um, I've seen bone bruises and kind of in knees take be very different for guys. Some will be just a week. Some could be three or four weeks. There's no timeline for him to return, but he's staying back. Um, and Oscar Shibway, who's on a two-way deal, is kind of your emergency big joining them in Miami as needed. And then did I see Isaiah Jackson is questionable for tonight with an illness? Because I'm trying to think, okay, it's Bam Adebayo. You know, it's not like Miami has a 7-1 menacing center, but Bam obviously is a great player. But, you know, if you've got to go to your bench, how would you see that big man rotation playing? Like, could Jarris Walker factor in? Yeah, there's a number of ways they could do it. We've seen early in the season, even Obi Toppin getting the occasional minutes at the five. Jarris could be, but I mean, this, it'd be a lot for him right now. That's a big reason why I don't think you've seen him a ton. Is just there's there's a lot there and a lot of growth that the coaching staff still wants to see from the Pacers lottery pick. But yeah, technically Isaiah Jackson questionable. It's an upper respiratory infection illness is basically right what that is. Uh, T.J. McConnell also technically questionable with a uh, sore right hamstring. And then for the Miami Heat, Bam out at Bios, he's probable. Tyler Hero's out. 
Um, Hayward Highsmith, questionable, and Jimmy Butler, questionable. So <laughs> I guess to be determined with all that, right? Yeah, who's going to play? <laughs> we have no idea who's actually going to play. How big of a deal is Jalen going out? I mean, a double-digit score, about 15 a game, can stretch the floor a little bit. I, I followed Oscar Shibway at Kentucky. The guy can rebound at an elite level. I'm not sure he can do that in the NBA. Defensively, he was a mess in college basketball last year. Could not guard pick-and-roll defense whatsoever. Plus, he's about 6'6". I mean, that's about what Oscar is. So, you know, with them having to move some things around, Isaiah Jackson being questionable, how big of a deal is this this weekend when, you know, the team doesn't want to come back 9-9 nine and nine with Boston on Monday? <laughs> right, and it doesn't get any easier right there. Like, that couldn't have been a worse matchup, by the way, coming up for the in-season tournament with Boston. But, uh, yeah, no, it's sizable. First of all, you, you have a tightened rotation all season from the coaching staff, and, and Jalen is part of that. And so for him to be out, and he, he's definitely had the best and most consistent season of his career. I mean, just the little things. And you can just see it in his confidence level, the way in which he attacks, even going to get rebounds. He's been highly efficient from the three-point line. And so him getting your backup center minutes, now being out, uh, it means the biggest thing I think it means is uh, this is Isaiah Jackson's time to shine. You really need to see a lot from him. Um, and I think he's done much better here after the season has gotten going a little bit. He, too, is playing kind of with some renewed confidence. I think him being in year three is about the time when you'll start to see these guys, especially bigs, emerge and, and really show who they are, not be overwhelmed by the moment or the situation or the bigger minutes or anything like that. Um, you really stop overthinking. That's kind of the conversation I had with Isaiah over the weekend um, was just, he's, he's not overthinking. He knows exactly what he needs to do and where he needs to do. Now it's about executing. And then in terms of Shibway, if we do see him, I do think rebounding will translate, but you're very limited. I think in what else he can provide you, especially defensively. But I mean, we saw Terry Taylor, uh, for a couple of years, just dominate the glass um, despite being undersized. I think Shibway will absolutely be the same way when he's out there because he just has a nose for the ball, and, and that's exactly what he wants to go and get. But outside of that, I do wonder, you know, if you're throwing him on Adebayo, that sounds mm-hmm. like a rough moment um, all night. So I, I think it's it's going to be more by committee, Isaiah Jackson in there. Obi Toppin, and you know you figure it out. At least Aaron Nismith's back and healthy um, because he can also play anywhere, any position out there. Scott Agnes is with us. You can find his work over at Fieldhouse Files. Can the Pacers in Miami tonight and Saturday? A 7.30 tip against the Heat. And if you look at the standings right now, Miami just one spot behind Indiana, uh, currently 6-7 and seven respectively in the Eastern Conference. Uh, Scott, Buddy Heald, a month into the season, we've seen him bumped into the starting lineup. Wasn't shooting it great, really, coming off the bench. He shot it very well uh, as a starter. You think he's gotten a little bit more leverage considering how the Pacers have viewed him back in that starting lineup role, considering he is a free agent and that contract talks kind of, I guess, stalled out before the start of the season? Yeah, I think this just gives <laughs> – what this does do is gives the coaching staff a ton more to think about, right? And, in, and in, again, it, it feels like they're just kind of stuck between two paths right here, right? Like, you need for Matherin for the big picture to emerge, take on more responsibility, have more larger contributions each night. 
But at the same time, Buddy's a much better player when he's both in the starting lineup and playing next to Tyrese. There's, there's just something special about that. Um, and that's why I think you've seen that, along with the fact that I do believe it's, it's it's Matherin a little bit being penalized for some stuff defensively and and, and maybe just not completely going to script, I guess, if that makes sense, right, about what this coaching staff's being asked of him. We saw that moment last game where Carlisle called timeout and kind of ripped him and everyone for, uh, you know, giving up a layup, which starts with Tyrese, to be fair, uh, giving up that layup, but then not sticking to the defensive principles that have been preached consistently for the last um, two weeks. But with Buddy, yeah, it's it's an interesting situation. Being in a contract year, he's one of those guys that's in his 30s, does he even match your timeline moving forward. Um, I, I think they they would be very interested in re-signing here. I believe uh, he probably would if the number started with a two um, <laughs> per year on average. That's probably what he's looking at for the most part, um, for at least two or three years. But at the same time, if there's value for a playoff team and he could go contribute, I think that would have a lot of great appeal for for a competitor like he is, a guy that's not experienced the playoffs. Um, and, and so if your buddy, maybe you're sitting back um, saying, you know, maybe I would be interested in a contender, see what happens there, then we'll hit free agency and restart this whole thing. I don't know. Um, but it's certainly given the Pacers a lot to think about. Scott Agnes with us here, Fieldhouse file, uh, Files, following the Pacers on the Payless Liquors Hotline. You know, I always use the word, I guess it's a crutch, uh, Scott. I use the word worry, and I'm not sure if that's the right word as it pertains to Benedict Matherin, but, I mean, this was supposed to be a guy that you really, really wanted to see make the next mm-hmm. step, and you mentioned them being stuck here with, well, the last four games, and I would imagine this weekend you're starting but healed yet again that it's they're kind of stuck with narratives right do we go with benedict do we go with buddy healed and i mean now you can't trade buddy i mean you can't do that with the way matherin's playing is it worry well what should be the analysis the level-headed analysis around what we have seen offensively and defensively from matherin thus far yeah, and to be fair, I think there's been some growth. There's been some good things that he's shown. Number one, probably being that he, he's keeping his head up. He's looking more for teammates uh, on on drives and within the offense and and those sort of things. Because before, you could just tell how he, how he had grown up and always been the most dominant player on the court. He'd get the ball, head down, dribble, attack, get fouled, and try to go to the line. At least that was the plan. And so now I think it's more within the flow of the offense. Um, there's still some times where you, you know he'll miss an open defender or, or not make the right pass or or is loose with it or whatever. Uh, defensively, like most of the roster, to be fair, is a whole different issue, and they have the league's worst defense and have to improve upon that. So I think the level-headed analysis in that is one: you realize, hey, he, he'd, he'd be just a junior in college right now, still young. You, you like that you've seen some positive things, but you really urge and you, you want him to, to step up to the plate more than he has just yet. Can Scott Agnes with us here, Fieldhouse File. Scott, last one for me. It's a little bit more of a big picture question, but I think Tyrese Halliburton has had the start to the season where that conversation, um, it, it, it's fine to have it. If he gets an all-NBA team uh, spot, so that's one of what, yeah. you know, 15 of those spots that increases his contract pretty significantly. Correct. 
Yes, absolutely. It'll go from somewhere around a two hundred and seven million total for five years to two hundred and sixty, oh. um, just by qualifying for one of those three teams. So he has a significant oh. reason to want to make that team. You're wow. talking, you know, fifty fifty some million right there. So fifty some million over five years, um, and that total to be clear. Yeah, you're right, right, right. Total. Yeah, that. Is chosen? Do they chose uh, choose two guards for each team, or how does that work? Yeah, yep. There's two guards. So it is positional selections voted on by about a hundred media members from across the world. Wow. Do you wow, guys? Wow, wow. Do, do both of you remember who the player? I was looking it up because when you when you mentioned that it was uh, there was a player who lost out on thirty nine million dollars because they were snubbed All NBA team a couple years ago. Do you remember who it was? Either one of you. Well, the one last year was John Moran. It was John Moran. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, John, yeah. John Moran lost thirty nine mil. Some might say that's a good thing. Well, and then he lost money for other reasons. <laughs> Totally. <laughs> yeah, he's lost a lot of and money. A, and a lot more. Yeah, and yeah. a lot more. I saw One you... of his first games back is going to be against Indiana later, l- later in December, I'm pretty sure. I think it is. It might be the first game back. Uh, last one for me as well. Scott Agnes with us, Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, you wrote about it, just a blurb on Fieldhouse Files, and I've been doing some listening and some reading on this. I'm interested. What do you make of Mark Cuban selling his majority stake, but supposedly uh, still being able to make decisions there with the Mavericks? Yeah. Oh, it's very interesting, especially, too, just because of the local angle. And I think the fact that he's kind of one of the, the most outgoing and faces for ownership just in pro sports and in North America here. But here's how I read into it. This is not there's not a ton of unique insight to this, but seeing him on Shark Tank, seeing him run the Mavericks, I, I think he's a guy that is he's smart in knowing what he doesn't know. And I think he sees the possibility, especially in a massive city like Dallas, which I think is like the fifth largest now, maybe among NBA teams. Um, I think he sees the great possibility for sports gambling. For um, And also on top of that, he really wants a new arena. And so he's sitting back saying, let's combine the two. And so I think he's picturing a massive complex where, um, you know, you have uh, all kinds of uh, a casino, a, a I, I, KB, I go to Patriot Place, where you don't right. just go to New England for football. There's shopping, there's hotels. There, it's that's kind of a new way about owning. Is it's not just about the team. Even here locally, you talk about that. You got Bicentennial Union Plaza. You have this Mill Steakhouse and a Speakeasy coming just north of the Fieldhouse. You have the garage. Maybe you'll have an apartment or hotels uh, just east or I guess it'd be west of Gamebridge Fieldhouse. I think that's the next level of ownership. It is interesting how much that he's selling a majority stake in the franchise. I've seen various accounts where he have the be the primary governor mm-hmm. or the alternate governor, which is significant. It means you know kind of who represents the franchise um, at at league meetings. It does sound like he retains basketball control, but uh, yeah, this is this is significant because of his outgoing voice and presence for owners across the league. And also, is this a new way of thinking about it, a bigger way in, in involving sports gambling? And down there, why it's significant for this casino is it's not legal just yet in Texas. So by doing this, they they think lobbyists can really push this forward and then open up what I'm sure is some kind of billion-dollar market down there in Texas. Scott, good stuff, man. Again, the Pacers in heat in action tonight, 7.30 tip. Our coverage will begin at 7 o'clock. And obviously, Scott's latest on Fieldhouse Files. Scott, have a good one, man. Likewise. Thanks, guys.
All right, we'll get back to a little Colts conversation. And then coming up at 9, more on the in-season tournament. Evan Walsh, one of the creators of the in-season tournament from the NBA, he joins us to answer some of the questions you guys have thrown our way. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Do that here in about 10. Yeah, thanks for joining us. 9 o'clock hour. KB and Andy hanging out with you in the DriveHubler.com studios. Miss saying the show. You can always find us and stream us 1075thefan.com. Reminder as well, Teron Davenport, ESPN.com, will join us coming up at about 940. We'll talk some Tennessee Titans with him. All right, so we're interested in this, obviously. On Monday, it's going to be Pacers and Celtics in the in-season uh, tournament. The Pacers, we have seen both Carlisle and Halliburton be very vocal, KB, on how much uh, they want to win this, how much they not only want the money, national TV and everything else. And uh, one of the brains, maybe the brain behind the entire thing, Evan Walsh joins us from the NBA. He's the executive vice president of basketball strategy and analytics. He joins us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Evan, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining us. I have your bio here. It's about six paragraphs. Uh, but instead of me reading it, what exactly besides the in-season tournament do you do for the NBA? Let's start there. Yeah, so uh, I, I run a group that's focused on how we improve the game on the court. So everything from the schedule to the rules to innovations like the play-in tournament and the in-season tournament, looking at how we use technology uh, to ultimately create you know, the best product for our fans and you know, keep players, teams, and, and fans engaged throughout the season. So when did the conversation around this tournament start? What have been those conversations? What has the buy-in been? And I guess how much work has went into trying something new in a league like the NBA, something different? Yeah, this has actually been a, a process that's, that's played out really over a decade. I think the first iterations of concepts of mid-season or in-season tournaments you know, came up like, you know, 10 to 15 years ago, even predating my time at the NBA. And the idea was always, is, this op- is there an opportunity to create this second championship that sits alongside the Larry O'Brien in our season and creates an opportunity for players, teams, fans to chase something, raise a trophy, um, build legacies and celebrate something at a different part of the season. And it was it was part of conversations around all types of innovations that, that we've considered for the season, including the play-in tournament. And I'd say things really accelerated a few years ago when we came out of um, the bubble season and, and put in the play-in tournament and saw some great success for that. And there was a renewed energy to explore you know, what was then a mid-season and now in-season tournament concept. And uh, it took the last few years to kind of figure out exactly what that right format would be that we were ultimately able to put in place this year. And and so far, the, the feedback's been incredible. As, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, players are really excited about this. Coaches are excited. Um, fans have really bought in during the group stage. So I think it's exceeded our expectations so far, and we're really looking forward to the knockout rounds. Again, he's Evan Wash, as Mark Dykton said after Evan uh, answered the call. Mark said, boy, this guy sounds really smart. And I would say that kind of backs up from the bio standpoint of what we're hearing. So, Evan, congrats on that. Granted, we have probably a low bar of intelligence. Evan, you're the smartest guy we've had on the air. I mean, come on. You have MIT and engineering in your bio. Let's go. 
That can't be true. <laughs> <laughs> he is the executive VP of basketball strategy and analytics for the NBA. Evan, in as simplest terms as you can, because I, I really don't think it's that confusing. Granted, I am kind of a World Cup nerd, so I feel like it kind of follows a little bit of the World Cup. You've got a group stage, and now we're about to start the knockout round coming up on Monday. But as best you can, for our audience out there that's like, all I see is a different color floor, and I have no idea what's going on, what is the in-season tournament? Yeah, so our, our tagline is 30 teams compete, eight advance, and one is crowned the champion. But um, if, if that's a little too high level for folks, you know, what we did is we, we created a two-round tournament where we took a, a series of regular season games, four games per team, and designated, designated those as tournament games, and that, those were all played within teams' groups. So teams were placed in groups of five. They play each of the other teams in their group one time each on the Tuesdays and Fridays in November. And then the results of those four games determined the winner of each group. So there were three groups per conference, as well as one wild card team, which was the second place finisher in each conference that had the best overall record. And those eight teams, four per conference, have now advanced to the knockout round. So obviously Indiana was the winner of Group A in the Eastern Conference by going 4-0. And those eight teams will now play a, a straight knockout tournament, which is the, the second stage of the, of the tournament. And that kicks off on uh, Monday with, with uh, quarterfinal doubleheaders on Monday and Tuesday. And then the four winners of those games head to Vegas for an NBA version of a, a Final Four, where the semifinals will be played next Thursday, December 7th, and the championship game on December 9th. And all of the games count towards regular season records, standing, statistics, all those things, with the exception of the championship game, which sits separate from uh, from the regular season calendar. For a team out there like the Pacers that fall into the, okay, you've got Boston in the quarterfinal game, and Pacers fans are saying, well, our schedule's harder because now you know we're playing Boston and we're going to be maybe playing the Bucks or something like that. W- what would be the response to that? So we talked a lot about this as part of the, the planning stages, and you know, in some iterations we didn't have – these knockout games counting as regular season games. And so, for example, we would have teams just playing 80-game regular season. Uh, there were some concerns around for the teams that didn't advance to the knockout rounds that they might end up with an eight-day break then while these other teams played out their knockout round games. Teams were rightfully concerned both about the business and basketball impact of that, uh, getting out of rhythm over those eight days, et cetera. And so we built back in the two added regular season games for teams that don't advance. But once you do that, of course, you need a way for the teams that are playing the knockout rounds to get their regular season games in. And so it made sense to count those knockout games as, as in-season tournament, as, as regular season games, excuse me. And so then we had the conversation that you just raised of, well, doesn't that potentially negatively impact those teams because their schedules get harder? Um, and on the one hand, sure, it, it sort of marginally increases the, the strength of schedule, but you're talking about two over 82, right? So in general, team schedules aren't exactly balanced each year. We rotate which teams within your conference you play three or four times So it, in, in a given year. So it might be the case that a team in a given year, the teams they play four times are on average stronger or weaker uh, than, than the rest of the conference. And so there's always a little bit of variance anyway. So we weren't too concerned with those two games. And then the last piece was we saw some social media chatter that you know somehow teams should have avoided advancing to the knockout rounds so as not to have these harder games. But of course, the way you would avoid advancing to the knockout rounds would be to lose your group play games. And so from our perspective, it didn't make a whole lot of sense that a team would want to lose one game just to get a possibly easier matchup 
in, in a later one. So we think the incentives on, on balance, you know, worked out and obviously teams were really excited about this. So I think that the player and team behavior, you know, fighting for these knockout round spots really validated that um, despite that potentially harder schedule, um, it was worth it to them. He's the smartest guest in the history of the show. He is Evan Walsh, Executive VP of Basketball and Strategy and Analytics for the NBA, explaining the in-season tournament with us here. Uh, Evan, any tweaks that you're looking at for year two? The Pacers, honestly, they were so good in the group play. Point differential didn't matter, or at least we didn't really focus on it here in this market. I know that was a lot of the chatter earlier this week, though. Uh, Any tweaks we can expect moving into next year? Um, I can say with a high degree of confidence there will be some tweaks. Uh, Exactly what they are, I think it's too early to say. What we plan to do once the, the tournament fully concludes is really sit down with with all of our stakeholders, our players, our teams, our media partners, we'll do you know extensive fan studies and really understand that as at a, as deep a level as we can how everything went. Everything from the schedule to the format, the tiebreakers, the point differential, the courts, the um, the, the uh, you know educational opportunities. We like one thing we learned, for example, on Tuesday night was it, it would have been incredibly helpful to have a a live standing bug for fans because as the point differential was changing every minute, it was you know hard for fans to keep track of who was in the lead for the group, for the wild cards. And so that's something we want to build for next year, which isn't necessarily a tweak to the tournament, but just a, a better way for fans to engage with that. So we'll look at all sorts of those things. The point differential obviously has, um, you know, some proponents and some opponents based on uh, there's the excitement factor of not knowing who's going to advance and every basket mattering. But of course, there's also the, competitive uh, integrity, the sportsmanship side of it. So we'll talk about all those things. And, and as I said, I, I would I would um, be, be confident that something will change, but exactly what that is, it's, I think it's too early to say. For people that don't know, we talked about it. I, I know Billy Donovan was whining because the Celtics played all their players uh, in, a, in a blowout, but they needed to win by 23 to advance. They fouled Andre Drummond, who missed a bunch of free throws, who shoots like 47% from the line. I, I, I don't know, as you being, you know, this is kind of your brainchild, you, you, I don't know, you had to be at least a little bit happy that a team like the Boston Celtics is taking this so seriously. They want to win by that many points so they can move on. They didn't just mail it in and win by 15. They needed to win that game so they could get these, uh, so they could advance in the in-season tournament. I mean, that had to at least make you smile a little bit, did it not? They're taking this seriously. It absolutely did. We had um, we had a, a live, you know, Zoom meeting a bunch of among a bunch of um, NBA uh, staff during the games on Tuesday night as we were putting out content and working on different scheduling scenarios for the quarterfinals and regular season games based on which teams advance. So we were all getting a kick out of um, what we were seeing across all of the games, frankly. You mentioned Boston, but uh, New York had an incentive to run up the score against Charlotte, uh, Cleveland against Atlanta, Brooklyn against Toronto. So you had all these games where teams had this incentive, not just to win, but but in some cases to win by a specific margin, in others just to win big, um, to maximize their chances of advancing. And I think that that one in particular, it just it just takes a little time for the mindset shift because obviously throughout the history of the NBA, the only thing that has mattered in any game is the results. Do you win or lose, right? And so having to win by specific margins or having to win big is a new concept. And I think for some players and teams and even fans, that that they view that as sort of a drawback, and that's okay. But I think once you change the mindset to say, the competitive outcome I'm seeking here is not just a win, it's a win by 23. It just sets a new bar. And if you look at international competitions, you know, not just soccer with goal differential, but even the FIBA World Cup where point differential has been used as a tiebreaker for a long time 
as well. Um, you know, players adjust and, and teams adjust pretty quickly. And you start to see, you know, that, that every basket matters competition uh, throughout. And, and that's, that's great. And so, for example, one stat that we loved was um, the first night of group play that we had had the lowest average score margin hmm. of any night of NBA basketball in hmm. seven years. Wow. Which to me suggested that not just were, team, were teams competing at a high level, even when they were losing, they wanted to make sure that they kept the game close because they knew point difference would matter later on, right? And so it's working to some extent, but obviously there are some, some potential downsides, so we'll talk about all that. Very, very interesting stuff right there. That one I, I find really interesting, that last point from Evan Wash. Get Evan Wash, he is the Executive VP Basketball Strategy and Analytics for the NBA. Evan, not sure if you will be in Indy for the All-Star Game coming up in February. If you are, though, safe travels here. Enjoy your time, and hopefully we can catch up again. Absolutely, and good luck to the, the Pacers in the knockout. And uh... Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Looking forward to Indy in February. All right, you miss any of the show, find it at 1075thefan.com. Go download the free app. Take us uh, wherever you want to take us, from Indy to Indonesia, says the promo. You can listen live, 1075thefan.com or on the app. All right, last segment of the show. Let's jump on out to the Payless Liquors Hotline. Teron Davenport from ESPN joins us. We'll talk some Titans with him. Teron, good morning, sir. How are you? Hey, good morning. I'm doing well. How are you guys? Man, we're fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us here uh, on this Thursday morning. You tweeted out a short video of Will Levis looking rather hobbled in practice yesterday. Obviously, he's been the starter since that Atlanta game. I guess, what is his status? What do you make of the hobbled nature of the starting quarterback there in Tennessee? Yeah, I mean, he'll probably play. It's more than likely. And it's interesting because earlier in that practice, I was watching him go through his drops and some of the play action things and he didn't seem to have a limp so maybe it's one of those things where you know at that point it was bothering him and it didn't bother him later in practice I don't know we'll find out more about that today but I I don't think there's too much of a doubt that he will start this foot foot injury the ankle that he's dealing with is something that it it started uh, going into last week's game I remember when they had uh, one day, because they shifted the schedule, uh, they went Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and skipped Thursday, and they came back Friday. But I remember that Tuesday, it was a light practice, and he actually sat out of that practice. So it's been something that he's been dealing with. Can Teron Davenport with us here from ESPN.com. Teron, um, it seems like for Levis, you know, really nice opener, a little bit more rookie inconsistency since then. Uh, if you were a Colts fan, would you rather see Levis with the deep ball capability given the secondary issues here in Indy, or would you rather see Ryan Tannehill? Well, I mean, I think if you had to pick out of the two, you would, you would probably pick Tannehill because Levis does have the ability to push it down the field a little bit better, and just the way things are flowing is, is a little different. I think that's something um, – Again, like you always have that element of explosiveness with, with him. And one of the things that's interesting, watching him in warm-up and then watching him pregame, he practices throwing off his back foot. So it's almost like he expects to have to do that. 
And just that ability to throw off the back foot and deliver the ball 40 to 50 yards down the field, that's something that I don't think any defense wants to see. Tron Davenport with us, ESPN, following the Titans. Tron, uh, in a different life, I actually followed. I've seen every snap of Will Levis when he was at Kentucky. And so I was not surprised. I I guess I wasn't too surprised that he fell in the draft. I also wasn't surprised against Atlanta when they let him air it out and he, he was able to air it out. And you just mentioned it there. The deep ball is what he is best at I guess what are the early returns five games as a starter what are the Titans better at worse at with him there uh, leading the charge at quarterback well I think they are a little better uh, vertically Um, one of the things that he does a little better than Tannehill is kind of move within the pocket Uh, you see him like climbing it and then sliding and making a throw those types of things Uh, I think those are are the two that they gain and then it's just an air of freshness right you know it's kind of like when you go from your old car to a new car, you just kind of feel better driving it. You know what I mean? And that's sort of the situation that this Titans team is in. And that's not to say that Tannehill was bad because, I mean, there were plenty of other reasons they were losing rather than Tannehill, you know. But it's just there's a refreshing type of uh, vibe that I feel from especially the defensive players, you know. Um, they really feed off of Levis. In fact, Arden Key, he told Levis to, to step up and be more of a leader. And before the Panthers game, Levis was the one that broke him down, you know, and he, he said that, you know, you guys are all dogs and, and it's about time you start playing like them. And it came alive, you know, and they, they were able to break their three-game losing streak. Again, Teron Davenport with us here, covers the Titans for ESPN. Teron, you look back at that first matchup, so much has changed. Obviously, Tannehill and Anthony Richardson started that game. Uh, and I wanted to get into kind of a key personnel thing from that game. The Colts had Grover Stewart, and that is a huge presence of their run defense. And they really yeah. limited Derrick Henry in that game. The Titans did not have a guy by the name of, and, and I say this so Colts fans realize who he is, Tier Tart in the middle of Tennessee's run defense. And the Colts ran all over Tennessee in that matchup. Tart is now back. Could you explain for Colts fans, you know, maybe what he means to their run defense? Because in that Week Five matchup, it almost seemed like that was the part of the game that won it for the Colts. The presence of Stewart stopping Henry, and then obviously establishing it without Tart for Tennessee. Yeah, if you look at those runs, they were able to to kind of dominate up front, and they were getting out up to the linebackers and moving them out of the way. So that was a big thing. The Tier Tar is a guy that he occupies those gaps. He's someone that actually has one of the, the best and most swift swim moves in, in the league. And he's able to, you know, club and swim and get in the backfield and not always tackle the, the running back, but he'll redirect them. And that gives time for other guys to flow to the football and, and make that tackle. And then in addition to that, you know, his, his push-pull is, is really good too. So long story short, He's a guy that will be in the backfield consistently and disrupt plays, and that's something that, that's really big, especially when you're trying to stop the run. Now, uh, another thing that you have to factor, if you go back and watch that long run by Zach Moss, Anthony Richardson, his ability to run the football sure. actually made Kevin Byard get out of position, and that's why his angle was bad because he had to be concerned about Richardson pulling it and running. You don't have that same assignment this time, so that – Big run that Moss had may not have happened 
you, you know, w- without Richardson in, in the game. Yeah, again, Moss's numbers just a little bit lower with Gardner Minshew as a starting QB than versus Richardson. It's a great point that Teron makes there on that big TD run. Uh, Teron, I, I feel stupid even asking you the question. Shane Sykin was asked it on Wednesday, and, and you know, it, oh, that's a good question. I, I, I don't really know why. Why is Tennessee 4-0 at home and 0-7 away from away from uh, Nashville? It's really strange because there's a huge difference. I mean, you look at the scoring, they're averaging 24 points a game at home, 11 points a game on the road. I think there's just something to – some of the guys, like they said, there's a comfort level. They, they did say that. Um, others have said, you know, they feel the energy uh, off of the, the fans – I really I, – I don't know. I, I think a lot of it does have to do with the opponents, right? So they had to go to Cleveland and play one of the best defenses in the league. It's never easy to play in Pittsburgh. They had to do that. Um, but Tampa and, and – you know, Tampa's not something that I really would say, oh, they're a threat. Jacksonville, very good team at home. So you look at that and, and you compare that to Carolina, Atlanta, right? A Cincinnati team with a hobbled Joe Burrow and a Chargers team, and we know how the Chargers are. So I think, if anything, it has the most to do with the opponents. That's that's what it has more to do with than the location. Tron Davenport with us here from ESPN. Tron, I I have to I ask this with a smile, okay? I know you do a little bit of radio with my guy Jared Stillman there in Nashville, okay? Oh uh, yeah, oh boy, and he's the he's the hot take king at times. So I, I'm texting him back and forth this week, and he of course thinks the Colts are going to walk into Tennessee and. Uh, walking to Nashville and they're going to dominate the Titans and he he believes that the Titans after this year need to just blow the thing up and start all over. Do you agree with that? Yeah, well, you know, he tends to approach this thing like a fan. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, there's no reason. Now, i tell you something funny, right? So, this is, we're almost in December, right? So, um, September, October, November. Just three and a half months ago, he was saying Mike Vrabel was is, is the best coach in the league. So it, you know, <laughs> we you told me they were going to win ten games. Tron, he said yeah. they're going to win ten games this year. Yeah, and you, you know what? A lot of us did think that. It, you know, a lot sure. of us did think that. So uh, I'm not going to knock him for that. But he did call Mike Vrabel the best coach in the league, and, and three months later, he's saying he needs to be fired. I think I, I'll just leave that as, as Exhibit A and, and, and move on. <laughs> Tron, last one for me, and I guess it kind of falls into that category. You know, the Colts interviewed Mike Vrabel back in 2018 before. They hired Josh McDaniels initially and then went to Frank Wright. Chris Ballard loves him some Mike Vrabel. I guess how much chatter is there that Mike Vrabel to New England to follow Bill Belichick is a possibility, if at all? Yeah, there's a lot of chatter, and it's all up there in Boston. (laughs) There's not really any talk of that here in Nashville. The people that I've spoken to, said that he is somebody that they want to move forward with, that tandem of, of, of he and Rand Carthon. That's what they that's what they look at, at as the future. Now, I, I'll say this. There's six games left, right? So, you know, things could change. We know this league is is very up and down, and, and you know, some act on emotions. You saw that last week with Frank Wright, you know, or actually on Monday with Frank Wright getting, getting fired. So, um, as of now, it, it's full intention – Mike Vrabel ran Carthon. That 
Vrabel to the Patriots talk is something that's uh, you know not going on here. An owner acting on emotion, something that would never happen here in Indianapolis. I, I, I no, no chance whatsoever. Uh, Teron, as always, we enjoy our conversations a couple times a year. Uh, I, I guess safe travels up here for the combine in February, and looking forward to Sunday. Oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. Appreciate it. You guys take care. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the play play slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.